being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy. Huge sack by Joey Bosa. 90-yard touchdown. 90-yard touchdown. It's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Knighton. Caught. Touchdown, Chargers. That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. What the bloody heck's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Thunder Down Under Charters podcast. Andy Prophet here, your host as always, Jack Reed and Alistair Lloyd. Joining me, gentlemen, welcome g'day, g'day, to our g'day. last regular season show. How are we both today? Very good, very good. It's over. It is over the season of 2022-23. <laughs> My gosh. Oh, very, I'm actually very relieved that we finished 5-12. and 12. So it's over. It's done. Let's look forward to greener pastures. Thank Amen, brother. Christ. Thank Christ for that. Yes, this terrible season is done. All the new pastures and exciting things to come. Let's just wipe this behind us and pretend it never, ever happened, including all of our takes. The dog days of 20... (laughs) Yeah, which we own. We keep receipts on ourselves as well. Don't worry, everybody. Well, there it is, folks. 18 weeks done and dusted. Regular season complete. As is the Chargers campaign, there will be no postseason podcasting for the three of us. And uh, it's probably not a not a bad thing. Don't want to talk about anyone else. We'll save the excitement for the draft position just for now. We'll just shelf that for now. The three of us are going to get through the final nail in the Bolts coffin over the Week 18 Divisional Contest versus the Kansas City Chiefs B Squad. Uh, we've got a few head coach candidates and a few GM opportunities as well that have been requested and reported. So we're ready to discuss a couple of those and we'll round out our regular season programming tonight by combing through the second part of the Tom Telesco saga this week, taking a look at the influence and the impact on the defensive side of the ball and special teams. All right, let's get into it. Kansas City Chiefs 13, Los Angeles Chargers 12. Nothing like a couple of beers, a bottle of Nebbiolo, and some bullshit strong margaritas to get Al and I through the viewing of this one. Not to mention some cheeky and mischievous lounge room vaping. Jack, no doubt you were in and out and strongly swayed by the viewing of a full diaper. Uh, This week, I really don't blame you, brother. With the results of the early slate of games falling the way they did, the potential for charges to climb up from pick seven or eight into five was well and truly on the cards. No one told gentle old Giff and... uh, and eager beaver eastern stick the bolts forcing three and out proceeding to march the ball all the way down to the five yard line of kansas city before trademark change at charges football comes to light almost had me fooled fellas fumble recovery 97 yards for mike edwards to the house and a few chuckles from yours truly not wanting to leave too much to chance or imagination two field goals late in the second quarter leaving the score annoyingly close at 10 to 6. Then an Eckler fumble, big third down sack, and another drive dying deep in the Chiefs' territory almost stole victory away from the second-tier Kansas City squad. Right before the old dog, goat, Blaine Gabbert, magic chunk runs, and Harrison Butker put all fans at ease, taking the game away with under a minute on the clock. Titans knock the Jags out of the postseason. See you later. Giants embarrass a flailing Philly. Pick motherfucking five, baby! Who gives a shit what happens now? All attention turns to the coaching carousel, the hunt for a GM with half a clue, and the excitement around draft preparation come April. Give us your best shot, Jackie boy. Well, who knows who is going to be on this team next year? There is a core group of players that we hope to see. But there's one player in particular that over the past couple of weeks, I've just sung his praises. It's obviously Giff Smith's favorite player in the building, and that is Cameron Dicker, Wicker, Bicker, Hicker, Ficker. What a player. What a player. He is just nailing them. Bang, bang, bang. Coming off one of the best rookie seasons, or he's now just produced one of the best rookie seasons of a kicker ever in terms of his field goal percentage. Cameron Dicker, Giff Smith, what a great little duo. And who would have thought at the end of this season, we would have said, what a duo. Wasn't Brandon Staley and Joey Bosa? Wasn't Brandon Staley and Derwin James? It wasn't even Kellen Moore and Justin Herbert. It's Giff Smith and Cameron Dicker. Yeah, baby. That's how we do it. Love it. You left out liquor, Jack. Um (laughs) Amazing stuff. Uh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. Rain it in. <laughs> I, I want this to be the last time f- for my life that I'm ever rooting for my own team to lose. 
So Amen. far, like I've I've done it well, even against the Bills and the Broncos. I was still wanting wins, but it's hard when you're in the third quarter of this game and you look over and you see the Giants have waxed the Eagles and you're going to jump to pick five. And then you see the Cardinals and the Seahawks oh, in this shootout. Man. And you're thinking, if we end up pick four, you're guaranteed like Marvin Harrison or, or Bowers. And then one of the Nathan's best long-range there. kickers ever, Matt Prater, comes out for the Cardinals and misses twice in the last few minutes. So, look, you can't have it all. The Chargers end up losing. Pick five is better than we ever expected heading into the year. So, but let, let's just draw a line in the sand. Never again do we want to be actively cheering for a loss. Yeah, I think it was about two minutes to – maybe two minutes in or two minutes to go in the third, and we were high-fiving Chiefs first downs. Um it was just because, like, like I said, in the, at the at the top there, it it felt like everything was an option for us. As far as you know, we've got a crap record as it is. Why bother finishing six and eleven, picking eight with a better strength of schedule than the Titans and the Giants and what have you? Um, then just no point. But it just felt like this. The, the mentality was no winning culture. Got to stabilize that. And like, come on, man, it's all well and good, but just. As we ended up finishing, you know, lose by a point, we lose by two points to Buffalo, all that kind of stuff. Admirable losses. Uh, but this one was, come on, Patrick Mahomes is cheering like uh, he's injured and this uh, is the AFC title that game. That guy can if, get fucked. I, uh, like, if the game was on ice, hit him with a Zamboni. Go like, holy moly, I can't stand him. Absolutely crazy. But, look, it is what it is. Um, it sort of classic charges... Uh, loss in the contest, um, won the total yards, 353 to 268, time of possession mm. by close to five minutes, first downs actually, which is something we haven't really been able to generate that well, and 88 offensive snaps to 58. Uh, it sort of speaks volumes really about the efficiency. Never truly looked a threat, but just uncomfortable enough. Um, any sort of big stat takeaways for you guys? I mean, it's all kind of meaningless at this point, isn't it? Um, seven of 19 on third down conversions. It's been far worse lately, and we went for a few fourth downs. It's exactly what you wanted, I think, in the last couple of weeks. I mean, Giff Smith said all the things that you want to hear a coach. Oh, we're focusing on the culture. No, we're still going to win. We're still going to win. Behind closed doors, I think they'd clearly given up to a point. I think we've definitely seen Austin Eckler play his last game. Uh, he's he's been he's had a very bizarre season. Uh, Joshua mm. Kelly. I'm thinking about the running back room. I think we've seen him play his last game. Having Isaiah Spiller as a healthy scratch, what's going on there? Yeah, man, I, you've just, it's really, Have you really... got a copy of my notes here, dude? What the, I, don't like... know. I, I don't know. But <laughs> How do you feel about Eckler, Jack? How do you feel about Eckler maybe having played his last game for the team? Oh, I think, listen, UDFA, I think he's a wonderful spokesperson. I think he's a wonderful player and person in the game, and he's been Agreed. very, very serviceable for the Chargers, no doubt about that. Uh, he's given him, he's given us his best years, I think, too. He's probably got maybe one or two, but clearly his body's letting him down. And I don't know how invested he was in this season when all this started happening. He said a couple of things in the media that have needed deciphering, which I've always questioned. You know, that's a little bit of that passive aggressive. I'll play the media. You know what I'm doing? You know, oh, I don't, I'll just do what I'm told. Oh, Austin Eckler is really upset by not getting the role or whatever it is. So um, good on him. I think he deserves to go to a contender and to have a shot at a Super Ball. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Totally agree. One of my favorite charges ever um, mm. to suit up. So he left it open the other day talking in a press. He's like, I don't know what the future holds, but the writing's on the wall. I think he's gone. Um, I tell you what, if you want to lose a game of football, there is no surefire way for that to happen more than placing Austin Pleasance on the offensive line for a period of time. I swear, is Austin Pleasance some kind of anagram for Storm Norton? Because they look <laughs> like the same guy. They both got the long hair um, and they remind me of like the, the biblical reference to Samson with all their power in their hair, but it's the actual opposite. They have long hair and they are shit. So the, the moment that Austin Pleasance came in the game, I thought, this is good. All of a sudden, pressure galore. Um, and that was probably probably the difference. Four point eight blocking grade or something. Four point eight. Uh, to be honest, it. I'm if yeah. I'm looking at a, an offensive lineman, I'm just not even drafting or even giving him an interview of his name, Austin Pleasance. You don't want pleasant people on the offensive line. You want road graders. Well, I'm watching him. Breath. That's for sure. Oh God, yeah, it was <laughs> the antithesis of pleasant. And pissing shit in their pants, and you just. <laughs> 
You get that, but like the wrong kind from the Storm Norton, Austin Pleasants. Terrible. Yeah. But hey, didn't you think like one thing I learned from the game, and there's not much you can in week 18, but partly by design and partly out of of necessity, exploiting Eastern Sticks' legs. Mm. Is that something for the future with Justin Herbert? Because Stick ran for 77 yards in this game. Not all of it was by design some of it was and he just when he when he can see that you know they're in man coverage he knows he's not the best throw of the ball that not the most accurate i thought he had quite a few wayward passes in this one he just ran to space and andy why don't you sh- share with the listeners kind of what you're talking about with herbert and do you, i mean do you think that's something he can implement or that he'd be resistant to well i, de- I definitely did want to talk about this because i think jackie were pretty um pretty hardcore on him, you know, asking to see Max Duggan uh, last week. I thought, whoa, like he's shown absolutely nothing, but it is the the part of the season where you want to see what you have, right? Um, He's a free agent at the end of the season, Eason Stick. Sure, probably not a starting caliber quarterback, but I think capable and somewhat worthy of a backup role. Maybe not with the Chargers, uh, but he's, he's got that. He can sort of get you out of trouble for a week or two if you, if you need. Um, and like you said, Al, he has the wherewithal to use his physical gifts and his legs. I think he probably falls back on that too quickly, like might get a bit of in his face. He's really, if you look at the, like his passing breakdown, he's, he's quite weak on the, he's quite, um, uh, he's much stronger on the strong side. Uh, so looking kind of to his left, he's inaccurate and he'll get a sniff of pressure and it'll be one read run um, or cower and get sacked. I think he actually pushed forward in the pocket more um, and it's uh, kind of opposite to Herbert. Herbert knows how good a thrower he is. His mentality is to ride his arm. And even though he is six foot five, a, a great athlete, he can, and we've seen him when he decides to do it. Um, maybe that's sort of something for Justin to look at and learn from that, you know, if it's not on rather than, you know, throwing it away or getting yourself into danger, step up into the pocket, use your legs a bit more. I'm hoping that maybe he it's can such a weapon. It's such it, a it, weapon when you it can do it. It just makes you look, I'm not going to say it makes you a, a dual threat in the sense of like a Lamar or a Kyler no, or a no, Fields, no. but it's, it's a Josh Allen kind of thing where look, he's not as kind of big and, and, to a degree dumb as the way that Josh Allen throws his body around, but you can tell me I'm wrong. It just never gets hurt. It's crazy. Um, and you know, you, you kind of need, um, to get out of Herbert's head that he's been injured a little bit over the last two seasons. You need to sort of break out of that. And his instruction needs to be a lot more kind of, you can do this like a lot more kind of, um, encouraging to, to use those, those skill, that skill set of his. So, um, yeah, I, look, I, I hope that he does see something out of out of that. But like, you know, uh, Stick was good. 13 rush attempts, 77 yards. He made the rest of the running back group look like me coming out of the backfield. So, <laughs> like, um... here's, here's, here's what I think, Andy, just to go on your point. I think how the, the way that the quarterback is used in the running game gives you a barometer to how confident the coaching staff are behind that offense. And the way that Justin Herbert uses his legs is a very much a last resort because let's not damage Justin Herbert. Let's not hurt him. And in some ways, when you take that approach, you're actually perhaps opening the window for injuries to happen more so because you're not confident in using his legs. So the legs are a last resort. Whereas you said Easton stick first read, second read, I'm going to go. Perhaps Justin has been told to be a little bit too conservative or that's his mindset. So when we, have this new coach, I'd love to see some designed runs and Justin Herbert being more decisive when using his legs. Because when he does it, it's fantastic. The way he can step up and maneuver the pocket. Alistair, question for you. Does Kellen Moore get a pass mark? Because metrics would suggest that Lombardi coached a better offense in terms of yards and and, and all sorts of things. So um, we're a middling offense. Does Kellen Moore get a pass mark for this year? He gets he gets a pass mark. Um I, I do want to be mindful that, you know, he's been coaching with a backup quarterback the last four weeks. So that's going to kind of skew some of the the big stats like points scored. And we've just dropped down to in the 20s now for points scored. Part of that is Easton Sticks, a quarterback. I wasn't, I didn't think he was super impressive. That's for sure. I think he, his biggest failing this year was the offensive line couldn't get it together. Um, and he came with promise about a running game and the Chargers had one of the worst running games of any team for the last 10 years. So 
geez, it's it's not a fail, it's but it's not too far off. He he designs his passing scheme beautifully. Really nice utilization of um, motion on most plays, which is the way the league is going. But the fact that we couldn't get QJ worked into the game much, um, to the season much, the fact that really until this week where Darius Davis did quite a lot, struggling to use him well, um, I was I, overall I'm unimpressed by the experience. And if the new coach, whoever he is, wants to come in and get rid of Kellen Moore and start afresh, I don't care that Herbert needs to learn another offense. I think we need to find the best coordinator for Herbert. So, so just I'm going to drill you again. Do you think Kellen Moore is a good developer of talent? Because arguably, QJ hasn't really done particularly well. Darius Davis hasn't done particularly well. Isaiah Spiller has hardly gotten it. All of a sudden, we've got these veterans everywhere that are going to disappear. Do you have the belief that he can actually develop talent? Because we did very briefly, I did kind of give you a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a blurb that I might ask this question in the chat earlier mm. today. But what do you think? Well, the evidence would say no. It's only a one-year size, but based just on this year, a lot of the players you wanted to see take a step didn't. Does that mean it's Kellen Moore's fault or one of the positional coaches or Brandon Staley or Telesco for drafting the wrong guys? I don't know. But Moore can't stand there with hand on heart and say, I raise the talent level of these guys because the QJ had a terrible year really, or a bad year and Zion Johnson took a step backwards and Sawyer kind of took a step backwards and there are some injury issues too, but um, no, I don't think he's shown himself to be a developer of talent this year. You can, you can kind of look at how the offense went similar to if you if you know that Spider-Man, that meme where it's all the Spider-Man standing around pointing at each other. Like you've got um, issues with the offensive line and availability, poor run blocking, which might even, you know, just going back to, you know, uh, Herbert running the ball. Um, out, we were last per PFF uh, in run blocking. Um, you've got lack of availability of, of weapons, there's numerous things. Herbert's, you know, unavailable with the the left hand finger, the right hand finger. There's all kinds of things. Um, but at at the outset, we're going to take some deep shots. We're going to run north and south, and we're going to put points on the board. That sort of chat is in the mold of talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Um, which is after week know, one the, anyway. Week one, you had yeah. this 230 well, rush yards. Yeah. And then where was that for the next 17 games? No idea. Crazy. Crazy. It is interesting. Uh, just sort of falling back, I will, about... I just want to know what you guys think about, um, you know, playing the, the best players that we have, but also knowing that we need to sort out a little bit or just have a, look, a little bit more of a look at what we are going to have next year. So we've gone through the running backs. Austin Eckler, who said to, um, I think... Per Daniel Popper, I'm not going to be with these guys anymore, and it's one of those journeys I'll always remember, but sad that it has to come to an end. Josh Kelly's a free agent, uh, and so we're going to have Isaiah Spiller as the the senior running back of the group. To have him as a healthy scratch, yeah, sure, like you can shake your head at the idea of that, but we've barely seen him. He's hmm. he's as prevalent as a, a blue moon. Um, what do you think about the other guys? We had a, a little bit more kind of... A few more newbies, I guess, on the on the offensive and the defensive line this week. Uh, what did you think of some of those guys, Jack? Before I get into the people that I thought uh, played relatively well for newbies, what you're talking about here... They don't have to have I guess, played well. <laughs> well <laughs> I guess what, what we're getting at here is this is the difference between a head coach who is also a coordinator versus a head coach. So, you know, you look at the way the control harbor would have over his program. Not only is he looking at the day to day the and what we're doing game to game, but also looking at the, I guess the general manager comes into this as well, is that they're looking three years in the future. And I think the lack of a developmental culture at the charges that I think Brandon Staley is a fantastic teacher. I think he's probably a really good coach as well. Schematically can coach on the whiteboards and th things, but there doesn't seem to be a development of people. Perhaps that's just because of the roster situation where we're at. We've got a lot of big stars and that's the way we're, that we've drafted, but it seems to be this reoccurring theme where we're just relying on these top five, top six, top seven players to drag the rest up. Now, the mm. only, the only 
person that I've seen in the last couple of years to develop talent well has been Ryan Ficken fucking Fiken. That guy needs to stay at this organization. Darius Davis is is a PFF pro uh, pro bowler, uh, all pro, I should say. Um, NFL P, uh, PA, yeah. NFL, yeah, yeah NFL. Um, but, and that leads into the person that I thought, even though he's had a down couple of weeks and people will get on to him about his performance against the Kansas City Chiefs, I thought Darius Davis, in terms of his returning, mm-hmm. is very dangerous. He got used better in the passing game than he did in previous weeks. So it was good to see. Um, Tooley, again, played really well. I'd love to see yeah. Tooley and Khalil Mack back um, mm, as, sure. as a tandem. But Alistair, I'll let you take Andy's yeah. question from there. No, that's good. Um, and all I'd add is one kind of credit or tick to either Staley or Telesco was some of those late picks um, in the last two drafts around your interior offensive line look like there might be something there for the future. Now, I thought Jordan McFadden had a really rough game of it in week 18. Rewatching it, I thought yeah. he he was against Chris Jones, okay? And Chris Jones made him look stupid on a and Chris few Jones snaps. was playing for money as well. He was absolutely hard. Yeah. But he was really good last maybe. week McFadden in his first start. Great. He was good, yeah. Really good. And even Brendan Hymers, his last two games, I was quite impressed. I thought he was an upgrade over Clap. Raises a question Agreed. why we didn't see that move earlier. So you now go to a new offseason, a new ch- opportunity to bring in free agents or draft more interior linemen. I think a couple of those guys you keep around and then in the offseason in the, at training camp, you find out who your best starting five is. But with some luck, having a Hymers and a McFadden means you're batting six or seven deep so that if injuries occur, you've got guys who are capable stepping in. So credit to that. Um the only other guy I'll mention is Dayon Henley, uh, who again didn't really take the field until the last quarter and then didn't do much this week, but played well last week in limited time. I just can't make heads or tails of the way he's been used on the field this year. Giff yeah, Smith agreed. referred to groin issues, but then he's on special teams all the time. Um, complete mismanagement of a third round pick. When you have... A guy like Kendricks, who I think is actually has actually had an underrated season. I think he was really good in run defense, but was, clearly yeah. struggles in coverage. So why aren't you just going, we've got three linebackers, early downs, Kendricks, third down, Henley. What the hell are they doing, Andy? Yeah, uh, I completely agree with you. I, I don't think it was... You know, we discussed, maybe, we talk about this a little bit off air. Maybe it's like a his personality is a little bit maybe abrasive, too much like kind of in your face. I think of Chris Rumpf when I, when I talk about that. Mm. Uh, obviously not mm. with the team. I feel like it's a little bit different. Maybe there's more arrogance. But from everything you've kind of, you know about uh, Henley, it's kind of just like justified. Um, he's, an, he's a freak of an athlete. Uh, he flies around, tackles, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I don't know. I, what it kind of boils down to just to sort of backflip a bit onto the, the philosophy of the, the coaching of the last few weeks, we say that maybe they're trying to just you know, instill a winning culture and things like that. You also sort of have to consider that it's a little bit of a resume builder for Giff Smith. Um, you know, he won't get too much into what the charges are doing with head coaching interviews and requests like that. But if he's not at the team, he needs to show potential you know, another uh, team that like that is capable of actually doing stuff rather than just sort of bending over and, and taking a loss. So maybe there's a bit of that. He's trying to do what he can and he's not actually thinking that much about the future of the Chargers, um, thinking that if a new head coach comes in, it might just be a clear, a clear out. Um, and but Neiman playing before Henley oh, is completely mate. perplexing. Three yeah, games, Neiman's a you. You know, fifth, sixth round pick and you've got a third round pick. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't get, it. Don't get I, it. I don't have it. I honestly don't have an answer for you because I feel exactly the same way. Um, it, it sort of sucks to see, uh, got an aging Kendricks who's, you know, just be worthwhile getting, just seeing what you got. Like it just, it can't hurt, but anyway, uh, are there anything else? Oh, I did want to talk about while we're talking about Austin Eckler, potentially having played his last game. Uh, I think we all owe a, a massive thank you to Corey Lindsley, who, while his tenure was relatively short with the Chargers, proved to be a great leader, a mentor for a lot of the young offensive linemen that have come into the team in the last uh, the past three years. 
99% likely to retire at the end of the year due to the underlying heart issues. Sucks to see a phenomenal career cut short. One of the best to do it. So big thanks to the the big fella there. Uh, he'll be missed and um, it's going to be a big hole to fill. Uh, anything further, guys, for this? Or do, do we do we roll along, let, let bygones be bygones with the season? I think one thing before you end, you have to acknowledge Khalil Mack. We haven't mentioned oh, yeah. him. Yeah, we've mentioned him all year, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> he like in a game you're trying to lose and wanting to see the team lose. The guy just kept popping up with battered passes and a sack, and then pressures here and there. So if you haven't seen this or or looked into a Chargers fans, he's just tied for the most sacks ever by a Charger with 17. Um, it's the highest ever PFF grade for a Chargers defender with 91.8. Tied Sean this. Merriman, is that right? Do you tied Sean yeah, Merriman? Leslie O'Neill yeah, back in 1992 also recorded go. 17. Yep. And also the most total pressures recorded by a Charger. Uh, Jack, can you think of a, in the time we've been watching a better season by a defensive player for San Diego or Los Angeles? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I, I don't lights know out, if I Lights could. Out was probably a little bit before our time of, you know, yeah, cognitively correct. watching football. I don't think Sayer, we didn't get to see him. No, we didn't see Sayer, but I just no. can't remember. Oh, Sayer, um, yeah. no. I, I love Aaron Donald because you watch him and he's a player on Not the interior a of, a, of a, I know, but on the defensive line that you just watch and he just disrupts. And Khalil Mack has been that this year. I yeah. hark back to when I had my teachable moment and I, you know, dove into the numbers and realized what of a good se- what how much of a good season he's having. So I'll pat myself on the back for that one. One of one take that I've gotten right, but um, yeah, Khalil Mack, thank you so much because you actually have made Chargers games fun to watch. So yeah. thank you so much. And Even, your attitude, oh, your attitude as a leader. I, I hope you stick around, but if not, I hope you go and get a Super Bowl somewhere else. I, I wish you a Super Bowl. Isn't it nuts to think that, you know, with that 91.8 PFF grade, uh, it's the equal third best of his career. He recorded 92.5 for Chicago in 2020 and the Raiders in 2016. Um, and I think he registered another 91.8 for the Raiders at, an, at another time. Um, incredible to do it at his age and to have now done it over the course of seven or eight seasons or he's been in the league nine, um, carrying that side of the ball. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very grateful that you you brought that up. Uh, even with a $38.5 million cap hit next year, with I don't even know if there's a – an ability to sort of restructure. You might be able to restructure it. You can't sort of extend it, but we'll have to see how it goes down because he plays with a lot of fire in the belly and he's a, um, yeah, as loyal as he is. Yeah, you're exactly right, Jack. If he's not with us, go win a ring somewhere else. Have you got a teachable Der- moment Derwin for us? In- does. Yeah, no, you go. You go, Jack. Jackie Ooh. boy. Teachable moment. Just enjoy Just pick number on- five. Ah, yes. <laughs> Class dismissed. <laughs> <laughs> Summer hey, holidays, go. <laughs> you know what? Like as as much as you know, we'll 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 spend weeks down the track talking about all the things that could happen with pick five, but heck, like we've had eleven years of a GM not trading back. I think this is the perfect way to roll into the next segment. There is just so many doors for what can happen with pick five. An absolute stud um, or a, a wagon full of draft capital and everything else. It's it's super exciting. So as the hunt for the new head coach at Chargers Park is really starting to gather speed, um, I want to go over a couple of names that have surfaced as, as candidates just to let you guys know for the uh, open GM position. We've got Adam Peters at Sanford. And this, this list is provided by... Um, uh, indirect friend of the show, Alex Insdorf, who does a little bit of work with Guilty as Charged, uh, the Guilty as Charged guys. Chuck this up on Twitter. Adam Peters from San Francisco, Ian Cunningham, and Jeff King, both currently at uh, Chicago. Brandon Brown of the New York Giants, Jeff Ireland, New Orleans, Terrence Gray with Buffalo, and Will McClay uh, at Dallas. So along with the list of head coach candidates that we'll, we'll get into shortly, um, uh, it speaks sort of greater volumes than the word of the Spanos with regards to the intent and the direction of the franchise moving forward. It's it's really great that um, some of the most respected and hottest names as options are on this list. Guys who have had experience with the best teams at drafting and teams with success, you know, past, past times with like Baltimore, Philly, Denver, and New England as well. 
Uh, so it's good. It's good. It's kind of um, it's it's working into the 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 walk and the walk, I guess, which a few people have been concerned about. All right, onto the juicy stuff. Um, the inquiries that the charges have made to speak with, uh, but not limited to keywords. There, the mm. following guys. Uh, at Detroit, the offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, obviously a very hot name coming into the coaching carousel. Defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn as well. Uh, Cowboys DC, Dan Quinn. Ravens offensive coordinator, Todd Monken. 49ers DC, Steve Wilkes, uh, who was with the Chargers previously. Um, Raiders DC, Patrick Graham. Rams DC, maybe we're a little bit bitten by the old Rams defensive coordinator mm. coming over to the Chargers, but Raheem Morris... Uh, we'll want to speak to him. Former Bills DC, Leslie Frazier. Bengals OC, Brian Callahan, And the internals, we have conducted interviews with Giff Smith and Kellen Moore. Al, over to you. Just for a bit more than the names, have you got anything for us uh, beyond the fact that if uh, it goes Will McClay, Dan Quinn, Kellen Moore, you might be turning the lightning bolt into a yellow star? <laughs> TDU Cowboys. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, I've got a pretty clear view. I mean, I know he's not. Um, on the list yet, but Harbour is in that tier one for me. Next to Ben Johnson, who I also have. If he's not one, he's one B. But before planting a kind of flag in the sand, I want to see how the Lions finish the year off. He's never coached a football team at any level. That's that's the reservation with Johnson. Whereas Harbour, he's coached for over 20 years, four different teams. Done some stuff. Killed it. Done some stuff. Killed it with all of it. Um, the, the only guy of that list you mentioned who I'm intrigued by, um, and I've got a slight bias for offensive-minded people, which is why oh, some Scott. of those names you mentioned, you know. Um, yeah. Ravens offensive coordinator, Todd Monken. Mm. I like the fact, firstly, that that list has a mix of inexperienced, experienced guys, but Todd Monken, who's 57, has had an interesting career. He was a Jacksonville wide receiver from um, wide receivers coach from 07 to 2010. And at that stage, Jimmy Smith, who's a, a famous Jags wide receiver, Hall of Fame type candidate, excelled when Monken was there. Older guy Monken, 57 years old, leaves Jacksonville, goes to Oklahoma State for a bit, goes to Southern Miss as a head coach for three years. And he took them from one win to three wins to nine wins. So really kind of average team that he came in there and, and did something with. Back to the NFL for a bit with the Bucks and the Browns. Then he goes to Georgia where he was their OC for the two years where they won the national title in 21 and 22. And this year reacclimates the NFL as offensive coordinator for the Ravens. And I mean, they've always had a problem with their wide receiver room. No more, right? They're, they're suddenly productive through the air. Lamar's back Doesn't to being an MVP candidate. One. That's a good point. It's still a bit raw, <laughs> but you hit the nerve. Um, and they're the best team in the in the NFL or the number one team in the AFC. So I'm not saying that he's my preferred candidate as coach, but that's interesting. What do, what do you reckon, Jack? Let me just give a bit of a word of, not maybe warning, but just something to think about for those who are on the Ben Johnson train. When you hire Ben Johnson, doot, remember doot. you're... You're not getting Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell is an enigma. Dan Campbell is a larger-than-life personality who has clearly set a culture at that organization of success. We all thought, we've reflected, we all thought Dan Campbell was crazy, saying he's going to bite people's kneecaps off and blah, blah, blah. But he's created a culture, an environment at that organization that is winning. Beware of those coordinators that come from successful programs with a enig enigmatic head figure, think of your Belichicks, mm. think of um, uh, who's the, the Raiders guy, Josh McDaniels, who has, you know, was very successful with Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is this, this big, powerful coach that sets the tone. He tried, Josh McDaniels goes away and tries to do the same thing and fails. Twice. So twice, badly. So what you're hoping with Ben Johnson is that he, understands that he cannot be Dan Campbell and that he needs to be himself, whatever that is. Exactly like Mike McDaniel has gone and done. He's a bit of a weirdo, um, but it works, right? Because he's very comfortable in himself. Now, if I reflect on how I truly look at Staley now and hindsight's twenty twenty, it always is. He was really genuine, but he just didn't seem to have that get up and go or that 
that uh, that calmness right. that that you have Absolutely. when you are confident in yourself. You always seem very up up and about, up and about. So just be aware that you hope Ben Johnson has done the work and the development on himself as an individual head coach and doesn't try to replicate Dan Campbell. I agree. I think that's a really valuable point. You've got a genius guy in the books, uh, and all you could kind of hope for is that he brings across some of the learning a thing or two about how Dan Campbell, who's just like, you know, your classic kind of rah-rah um, guy. And I think I really I fell in love with Dan Campbell a bit beyond the, the biting the kneecaps when I saw him talking to the media about the team or maybe even talking to the team. And that guy started Action. crying, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, it's a weird thing to kind of really like, but you just thought people will go to war for this dude. Um, mm. And you just sort of hope that if you bring in Ben Johnson, that he brings some of that across or he's learned a little bit of how to not just run an offense, but how to lead a group of men. Because that's yeah. that's what you need as their head coach. And I think that's something that limited Staley was he was a defensive guy who just didn't quite have the tools in, the, um, in, in his bag for doing more other than just sort of saying that's the warrior spirit. And I'm taking a line out of our own intro song, but like the reality Which is, we might have to change. Well, I was going to say, we're going to have to change this that. Reed, we'll just, yeah, there. We'll that's the get, losing spirit, man. <laughs> we'll just get some, um, we'll just get some audio clips of, uh, Harbour blowing up on the side. Oh, come on, man. Throwing his headset and stuff. It is nice to see Harbour winning the uh, college football playoff championship. Now gets to eat dinner at the big boys' table with Daddy Jack and Brother John uh, as winners. Good on them. Um, yeah. Haven't actually got around to watching that game, but it seems like they put Michael Penix Jr. in a bit of a blender. Ooh, yeah. um, and ran to football. Loves running the football, does J- Jimmy H. Uh, Anything further on those names, guys? I think, like, you know, it's all sort of speculative chin-wagging for now. Um, we'll get on to the reflective discussion on Tom Telesco. I think it's really, va- like, it's a perfect kind of segue here because the Raiders actually inquired to uh, interview Tom Telesco for their vacant GM position, <laughs> which, gosh. Golly, I'd love to. Uh, Al, can you just run through that tweet that you you dropped uh, for the oh, yeah. inter- how the interview the process? Yep. Yeah, how well, the, look, yeah, bolts it, from the blue. If, if you've got a telephone interview with Tom Telesco's The Raiders and you ask, hey, Tom, can you please give us an example of one time you uh, traded up in the draft to your team's advantage, one time you traded down in the draft to your team's advantage, um, and one time you traded mid-season to your team's advantage, I reckon you just get doop, doop, doop. The phone would be disconnected. 11 years. I don't reckon there's one example in any of those three um, criteria. What a fucking joke. What a jokester. Yeah. That's even... uh, We're just going perfect segue to perfect segue because they're like classic instances where on the defensive side of the ball, especially that trading up to your team's advantage, he really dropped the bundle. Um, I don't want to jump straight into that, but Jack, uh, what are your thoughts on how Tom Telesco has, you know, used the off season to, uh, improve or, uh, to the detriment of the team made his moves. Oh, you gotta think that he's completely cooked the salary cap this year. So when you, if you're taking a little bit of a recency bias, you can argue that he hasn't been particularly responsible in that sense, but he was trying to get everything they were trying to go for it. So maybe you cut him a little bit of slack. Nah, fuck him. You don't dickhead, but some of the, but generally speaking, and we have said on this podcast that he was good at being able to develop organizational friendly contracts with players. And if it did seem like a lot of money, there were pins to pull out if injuries occurred or if performance waned. So in that sense, I think throughout his tenure, he's managed the salary cap relatively, can I say well, but it hasn't equated to anything. You know, you'd hope that you have a couple of years of spending less and then you make some big money acquisitions or you trade down a couple of years in the draft to just build up a... Uh, a war chest of picks and then go all out moving up and doing that side of the, it was just, it's very vanilla. It's not, it's not chocolate. It's not strawberry. It's just, he's getting the Neapolitan and he's just scooping out the vanilla. That's the only thing he's doing. The right only the thing. And, on. and this year, what he's done is he's tried to eat the whole ice cream all at once and he's just vomited it everywhere. And that's what's happened to our season. So 
Oh, listen, you go down the names, and I'm not going to go all of them, but you just look at some of the signings, and you go, oh, they were not good. And the ones that you go, oh, were they okay? Oh, they're not great. So, um, listen, Tom has just sat there and done not much. Just to reflect really briefly before I throw to you, Alistair, is I would like a GM that's not an expert in scouting. I think you can find a lot of people now who can watch so much tape and so many YouTube clips and get around that you don't have to be an expert on the nitty on the nitty gritty. Alistair sitting there with his with his binoculars. College tape. Let's let's get someone with organisational capacity that doesn't have to learn the organisational capacity. That's all I'm going to say. All right, over to you. Lead scout. <laughs> love the glasses. Um, oh, love with a focus on defensive players, I think there are two like key moments or criticisms. One people will have thought about, the other I've thought about and hopefully is an, a fresh idea. Key failure on the defensive side of the ball for mine is the decision to trade up for Kenny Murray in 2020. So he doesn't really understand positional value. We discussed that last week. He drafted five linebackers in his time and gave a massive extension to Donald Butler, which didn't work. Oh. When 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 they traded up for Kenny Murray in 2020, I went back and had a look. So they had already taken, uh, just bear with me for a second. Who did they take in the first round in that draft? It was Herbert. So they take Herbert at pick six. And then their next pick in the draft was supposed to be round two, pick 37, but they got itchy and they traded with New England to come up from 37 to 23. So they Just take... Patrick Queen was taken by the Raiders, You can take my draft pick anytime, Tom. And listen to this because this will make you sick. So the Chargers moved to 23 and take Murray. New England used pick 37 to take Kyle Duggar, who's been a good safety. Good safety. Yeah, he's good. And... Not only, we had to give 37 and we all had to also give 30, um, 71, our third round pick to move up from two to one. Pick Man. 71 was therefore in the Patriots' hands, but they got itchy and they gave their 71 to the Ravens. So the Pats moved up to 60 and took Josh Uche, who's been very good. So the Patriots, instead of Kenny Murray, got Kyle Duggar and Josh Uche, both of them way better players. And then what the Ravens did with pick 71, which would have been the Chargers pick in the third round, was draft Justin Matabuike, who's had a 14-sack season this year. Yeah. You're talking about position. You're talking about understanding positional value. Maybe not necessarily with Duggar, but Uche and Matabuike. Uche and Matabuike. So if, you're, if there's no better salutary lesson than that, if ever you get obsessed with one player, and there's an argument that the Texans might have even done the wrong thing with Will Anderson, even though he's good, it will be rare that one player comes out better than two or better than three. Give yourself more hits at the draft board since it's a crapshoot. So that's one that was obvious at the time. Everyone was worried about it. My other criticism of Telesco is not drafting cornerbacks who can tackle. And I'm hoping that Hub or oh, I shouldn't. <laughs> okay, or oh, whoever the coach is. What do you Why think, we're Lloyd? All in on Hub or... <laughs> I'm hoping that whoever comes in now appreciates that there's there's been zigging and zagging in the league, right? It's become it became high passing, high passing. So play a lot of cover two, cover six, Fangio, Staley stuff. They're going to throw it all over the yard. So offense has adjusted, and now they've realized if you're going to play two deep safeties and park the bus, what we're going to do is start to run the ball either up the middle or to the perimeter like Shanahan and his tree like to do. And what that means is if you're going to, if you're a defensive back in the current NFL, you need to do what they call the crack replace, where you see that the tight end swallowed up by a defensive player, you've got to run up and tackle the running back. And... Telesco has drafted guys like Nasir Adderley, JT Woods, Asante Samuel, who keeps showing that he almost can't play in the NFL if you're going to be that bad at tackling. Michael Davis, an undrafted guy who has struggled. Jasia Leonard. So wh whoever the new coach is or GM, you've got to realize now that when you're looking at cornerbacks, you have to be able to tackle in the modern NFL or teams are just going to go, there's the guy, let's run at him, and we're going to be able to pick up yards with impunity. So there are a couple of couple of things I thought he struggled with, mate. 
Yeah, I think um, they're definitely more kind of contemporary issues. You kind of make the way that I look at, you know, trading up stupidly for, well, linebackers, outside linebackers, you know, giving up. Running back. Giving, yeah, yeah, that as well. Giving, um, offense was last week. Giving up uh, fourth round picks to go up and get Manti Teo and Jerry Atachu don't work. Um, and then there's, you know, he's, he's, he's brought in some good free agents. We're like, we can, we can look beyond the draft because obviously yep. I think a lot of the way that the cap, uh, sorry, the deal structures are, you know, there's a more probable credit to Ed McGuire and the likes for how yep. the finances are kind of worked because I just sort of, the way that I've seen and grown in the last couple of weeks of really digging into it and uh, experiencing it more so over the last kind of four or five years is that <clears throat> Tom just goes, we need this, we're going to go and get it and we're going to go make it work. Um, or uh, picking and choosing who he wants to keep around, the Donald Butler, um, the Daryl Stuckey deal as well, that was a four-year <laughs> extension, howlers, um, but, you know, when you trade up to take Manti Teo, who doesn't work, um, staying put in that draft, you could have netted a Travis Kelsey, a Terran Armstead, a Larry Warford, all, all still available at the time. Um, and, you know, giving extensions to players who he brings in as free agents for one year. Um, Brandon Flowers is a big one that comes to mind. It worked and, yeah, look, it was kind of unfortunate. We suffered a lot of concussions, didn't work. And then there's guys like Adrian Phillips, who he just continuously, like, just dragged along on one-year deals before we lost him and we were like, shit, we we would love to have had him here. Instead, he goes off to the Patriots and continues to grow. In that, uh, that year, we gave Phillips a one-year $690,000 deal. Do you know what we did with the long snapper? If we're going to talk about special teams as well, Mike Wind, four years, four point one million. Not bank breaking money, but Phillips oh, is deserving of a long contract. Bank far out. And, yeah, okay, <laughs> be contextual. Um, big lawyer guy. Uh, Wind was released two years into that deal, so there's been that many instances where he's, you know, brought in a guy off a one year deal and then extended them after that to a big juicy deal and they've not lasted. Um, Donald Butler lasted maybe three years of that seven year deal. Seven years for a linebacker. That's crazy business. So it just seems to be um, just, I just don't understand. He gets big for his boots and makes these decisions. Now, sure, he's had some successes on the defensive side of the ball. Pick three, drafts Joey Bosa. I mean, you're a fool if you if you miss that. You're a fool as well if you don't draft Derwin James at pick 17 in 2017. That falls into his lap. So how much of it is luck and right place, right time for some of these things? Uh, as far as Bose's extension, I think it's kind of justified, except now the, the longer that that played out, the more injured he got, and then he got a bit cuckoo. Um, yeah. Five years, $135 million, a lot of money. Um Backs himself, you know, drafts a decent guy. Corey Legit was in the in the fold five years, Corey 50 legit. million. Uh, sort of petered off, missed a bit, missed a bit of game time with injury, but he was kind of just really sort of rests on his own laurels, and that's sort of the philosophy that I've found. It's a really kind of misguided. And that uh, the comment that you made, Jack, about putting the team in in cap strife was, it's been endemic because the first year. Uh, we needed a, a cornerback, and what did Tom do? Derek Cox, four years, twenty million, cut after one year of that deal. Now, look, that's not crazy, but what it does, Orlando Franklin and guys like um, guys like that, it it adds dead cap. And this yep. year, because of the JC Jackson disaster, mm. and Sebastian Joseph Day being cut as well for you know personality issues relative to the Staley situation. We're facing $28 million in dead cap money. And unless we can get something to work out with a, a few of these guys with big cap hits, where, you know, sure, the money grows as the years go on because that's the nature yeah. of the, the growth um, financially in the league. But we're looking at some real ugly stuff and we're paying a lot of money to guys who are no longer on the team. Um, Dustin Hopkins is in there as well. I mean, it's minor uh, and we've found a gem. 
I think Hopkins is out for the Browns at the moment as well with another injury. Let's not forget uh, how much of a revolving door kicker has been over the last number of years either. Telesco cannot point. have, could not find a kicker to save his life. If we're talking special teams, we've gone the young way coup guy, but, yeah, but now he's gone. a gun. Now he's, you know, he's up there with Justin Tucker for, you know, minimum attempts. He's right up in the 90%, 95% success. So then, so then how much do we blame Tom Telesco of not being able to find guys because he's had three head coaches? Has he actually, has he been the one to choose the head coach? What's been Tom Telesco's philosophy? The defense, the defensive philosophy's changed, the offensive philosophy's changed, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's just this self-perpetuating spiral like a snowball that the more you look at it, there's just been no consistency anywhere. And that's more than just a GM. I think that's an organizational, but to pick any of these players out as a, as an individual and criticize. And you can also do the same thing as praise, you know, the Kyle Van Noy, the Callahan signings, the Everett signings have been really, but you can't look at anything in isolation. I think, I think you need to look at the whole thing and it's just been chaotic for the last 11 years. Alistair, were you going to say something? Well, if, if I was um, Bob Telesco, Tom's uh, brother, and I was trying to say, you know, credit for anything this guy's done. Cause <laughs> I'm Luigi Telesco. His brother, and you're saying he's been the, he's been in charge for 11 years. What can we point to to say, well done, bro? You did a good job with that defense. It wouldn't be the interior D line because I thought defensive tackle has just been a perpetual problem for the team. I was thinking real hard, and you already mentioned a few of the slam dunk early picks, but I'm not even going to give credit for that, Andy. I yeah, thought that's right place, right time, isn't it? Right place, right time. I thought he and you're had a fool like if you fuck that up, yeah. He's a fool and he didn't fuck it up. So like some of his later round defensive picks, I think have actually been okay. If you look at guys like Tranquil, Kaiser White, Nick Neiman, Desmond King, Rayshawn Jenkins, Jatavis Brown for a while. Some of those day three picks, he's actually done okay. And then since this is also a special team segment, Finally, the team has got it right on special teams. And I don't know if it is Telesco or Ficken, but I thought it started with kind of Derek Watt around that time where suddenly you saw a bit of improvement. um, And we had to flirt with the kicker position for a while. But the fact that we've landed with Cameron Dicker, one of the the best young kicker in the league, J.K. Scott, who's punting really well, and guys like Dean Leonard, Jasir Taylor, Nick Neiman, Dion Henley, special teams is going really, really well. And look, he was GM when we drafted all of those guys. So if I'm going to praise him for anything, it would be some late round hits on defensive players and special teams picks recently. Yeah, agreed. I think um, on the free agency side of things, you can't can't argue that the Casey Haywood pick up from Green Bay uh, was a miss. That was that was a sensational. Was awesome. But you know, that's one in how many? Um, yeah, he led the league in interceptions in 2016 and was great. Um, Brandon Maybane, not too bad. Obviously, the vegan fell guy. away a little bit. <laughs> fell away a little bit. Jack, you you made a good point. There were there were roles that the guys played. Linville Joseph to a degree. Callahan certainly in the slot. Kyle Van Noy as well. Um, and then, you know, he's, he got kind of sucked into the, the Staley vortex. And I think what that says to me is a lack of, didn't we all, (laughs) what that says to me is a lack of, uh, uh, you're all over the shop. I don't know what side you're batting for today. Um, uh, what it says to me is a lack of identity and a lack of, you know, self-belief in state in Telesco to just say, oh, you know, you want these guys, you want Austin Johnson, you want Sebastian J, uh, John, uh, Joseph Day, rather, you want JC Jackson, you want Eric Hendricks here, you can have them without kind of thinking of, you know, what that all means. I think that's, you know, why the whole charges thing was all in because it was like, literally here is all our money. Um, you know, we've still got to talk about Khalil Mack being brought across because he's been the shining light in a that was the brand defense of Staley, where, though, I reckon. Yeah, for sure. But like, it's still, I don't know. I don't really understand what, maybe Telesco started to doubt himself uh, for every of every one of those, you know, late round picks. There was a few that absolutely sucked. Um, yeah. I could have thought Xander Horvath would have been a guy that would have hung around. Um, Mark Webb. Another guy, maybe one of Staley's guys. There were a few guys late in the draft. Oh, shit. Like, Aloha Gilman, sixth-round pick, very serviceable. 
Um, but then you've got Cortez Broughton, seventh round in 2019. You're not expecting to hit on those, but it's also just like, man, you can you can do a little bit better. So I, it's I, so I, it's so hit and miss, right? Like it's just no, there's no real consistency. Um, he backs himself, gives these guys extensions that he drafts or that he brings in on one year and they do well. And he goes, yep, I'm sure. But I don't think he understands what sure means. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster with uh, old Tommy. And now he's, like I said, you know, when he got, uh, when he got binned, he lit a match into a, um, uh, just a a bunch of uh, gas canisters. And if Staley was going to go, I think he knew he was going to go as well. Finishing five and 12 or being five and eight as we were, and really likely to miss the playoffs. He just thought, no, fuck it, whatever. Uh, if he goes, I'm out, and that'll be that. Go to the Raiders. Go fuck them up, please. Fuck the Raiders up. It leaves me wondering how successful day two and day three picks are, and are they contingent upon the sort of the continuity at coaching positions? Um, because you know, everyone can hit first round picks. Everyone can generally hit, maybe not everyone, but it's, it's, it's more that we've said that Tom, you know, a lot of players have fallen to him, taking Joey Bosa, et cetera. But with such a revolving door at coordinator um, positions and head coaching, it's just never those, those guys who probably need some consistency in terms of development have always been, you know, if you got signed under Mike McCoy, you got drafted under Mike McCoy in your final year, you're probably thinking about playing for another coach. And that, that's, that, if that hangs over your head as a developmental guy, you're always wondering, well, what am I actually doing here? How am I playing? So maybe that's also played into some of the, the misses, perhaps, that we've always criticized Telesco at in, in these later rounds. Um, because you look at other teams that have had consistency, whether it be at a GM level or a head coach level, that they go into a program, not just a team. They go into an organization. And I'm just hoping that if Harbour is that person, he's able to bring that collegiate style community environment to um, the the team. Let's but get a Chargers marching draft. band. Yeah, let's go. Fuck, Jack on the trombone. The what, a, what are you yeah. doing, Andy? I'll go. Um, I'll go piano uh, or reckon, something. I reckon I walk around with the drum. I reckon oh, yeah. I can make that work. You know, be bigger, be bigger than life. Identity, identity is something Telesco lacks. Correct. Something that the Chargers have lacked. Let's just hope that whoever it may be, because you know the three of us seem pretty keen, and a lot of Chargers fans seem very keen on the Harbour regime in Los Angeles. Let's just let it play out because we have no control over it. Uh, we'll criticize and praise whatever happens. Um, but let's hope that there's just, at the end of the day, a bit of identity on and off the field for this organization moving forward. So that's the, the kind of Amen. only thing that we can, we can really, we can, uh, a bit of mic tech from, uh, from Jack there. Lovely. Um, look, guys, it has been a tough year to swallow as Chargers fans. Thank you to all our listeners uh, and viewers really appreciate it. We love doing this. Doesn't matter if none of you show up. Um, we'll keep, keep going along with it. Cause we have fun. We're best mates. We love this team as much as it hurts at times, but don't worry when, when, when the rings are handed out, we'll be there. One thing we didn't actually mention is uh, on the Telesco thing. While I just break up my outro is the Eric Weddle scenario. And I loved the fact that when Philip Rivers came to SoFi for Antonio Gates' little celebration, Eric Weddle was in there with his Super Bowl ring. The biggest fuck you to the Chargers organization, laughing his head off, big dick, big beard, having a good time, hated that he left the team. And the fan I probably wanted to kick him out, but they're actually tenants in the building, so they've got no power over security. <laughs> so enjoy, Eric. You motherfuckers. <laughs> exactly. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you can squat. Have fun. He knows. He owns more of it than they do. Um, back onto it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in throughout the course, the last two years even. Um, we'll be there when the, the roller coaster peaks back up, and we hope you're all there to join with us. Enjoy the playoffs as neutral uh, spectators, just like we will. Uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks off, and we will do a season wrap-up, bit of a roundtable. Might even get our great buddy Kyle on the show Um uh, as he and his wife have brought in a, a baby girl into the world. Woo. But Woo. thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next time. Enjoy the next couple of weeks of football before it's all over. See you next time on Peace out. T-D-U. John Harbaugh for life, yo.
back, pedals looking, firing, he's got Floyd turning, got it, six and a half, ten, five, high step, touchdown, San Diego! <laughs> Woo! Good night! Good night to all!